We live in fear of our lives, the fear of more actually losing our lives. And while we have those fears of losing our lives, then by definition, we're not living our lives. So, Bruce, you, I know you don't need much of an introduction, but for anyone that happens to be coming across you for the first time, please introduce yourself. My name is Bruce Lipton. I'm the author of the best-selling books, Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, and The Honeymoon Effect. And I'm here with David because um, my research on stem cells back in the 60s uh, revealed something to me that I never believed in, and that is spirituality. Oh my God, I'm a scientist, and I was using the word spirituality. Uh, I sort of got blackballed from my community because that was uh, against the rules in science to bring it up. So I left science. But I came back at Stanford University with research back uh, uh, in the 90s and then published some great papers. And as a result, I have been having a most wonderful life on this planet. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I never believed in spirituality as a scientist. It was genes and proteins and chromosomes and all that kind of stuff. But through the studies of the cells, there was one important little fact that came in and disturbed everything, and that was very simply this. No two people are the same biologically. And I go, what do you mean? I go, well, if I wanted to put my cells into David, his immune system would say not self and reject it. If David's cells come into my body, my immune system will say not self and reject it. Very clear point. There's identity to the cells that are connected to the individual. And no two people have the same identity. And then my ideas about understanding how the cell work led me to the, the cell membrane, the skin of the cell. And I said, where's the difference between people? And what I recognized was on the surface of the cells, there are these protein antennas called receptors, receivers, receptors in the skin of the cell. And I go, well, look, the human, same thing. In the skin, what do I have? Eyes, ears, nose, taste, touch, pain, temperature. I said, these are receivers built into my skin to read the environment. That's what it's all about. So I say, whoa, on the surface of the cells, uh, except for the red blood cells, on the surface of our cells is a set of antennas that is unique to each individual. No two people share the same. And these individual receptors are called, interestingly enough, self-receptors. Self-receptors, well, right away, that was pretty cool, self-receivers. And I go, well, what's unique about it? I said, a protein receptor is an antenna. It receives a signal. I go, so what? I said, no two people receive the same identifying signal from the environment. Each person is receiving their own signal. And I go, well, as they used to say, well, the signal is the receptors themselves, the proteins. I go, no, no, they misunderstood. The receptors receive a signal, okay? And I go, so the signal's not in the cells. I go, no. And an interesting study by a, a former colleague, friend of mine, Cleve Baxter, He's a guy who developed uh, the advanced lie detector techniques to read the electrical energy of cells. Well, he was working with an astronaut, Brian O'Leary. And what they did is they put some Brian O'Leary cells in a test tube, and they moved it 350 miles away. But at that site, there's a, a recording device in the test tube to record the electrical activity of the cells. So the experiment runs where the 
test tube with Brian cells are 350 miles away. But where Brian is, they, they set up a screen, split screen, where they have live Brian on one side of the screen and the electrical activity of the cells 350 miles away on the other side of the screen. And what they show is the most amazing thing in the world. And what was that is that if Brian elicited an emotional response, instantaneously, the cells 350 miles away activated their electrical activity. And all of a sudden it says, well, wait a minute. They're, they're, what does this experiment show? And I go, well, Brian's cells have his receptors on them, his antennas. So it didn't make a difference if Brian's cells were in Brian's body or Brian's cells were in a test tube. Uh, the significance is very clear, is that there was a communication simultaneously that affected both Brian and his cells at exactly the same time, but 350 miles apart. The point is then, where's Brian? Well, he's on the screen, yeah, but Brian's cells are 350 miles over there. I go, then how did Brian's cells activate with Brian? And the answer, you ready? Brian's identity is a broadcast. Wherever Brian's cells are, they'll receive that identity. And that's why the cells 350 miles away were receiving on their antennas the same signal that Brian's cells in his body was receiving on their antennas. And the most important fact was, oh my God, identity broadcast that makes us unique is not in the cells, it's in the field. And in the word field, let's just bring that in because that's quantum physics. And I go, what is field? It's an energy uh, environment. All of us are sitting in a field right now. I mean, uh, wherever David is, wherever I am, wherever you are, guess what? In your area right now, there are television broadcasts and radio broadcasts and cell phone broadcasts and even solar energy in the field that you're sitting in. It's not visible, but... Uh, if you had a cell phone uh, and the energy in the field comes to the cell phone, you can talk on it, okay? Well, the point about it is simply this. Consider the body as a television set, and what you're seeing now is the Bruce show. I go, well, and when you're watching a TV, is the show in the TV? I go, no, no, the show is picked up by the broadcast, played through the TV. So I go, so the Bruce show, and I go, yeah, this is the Bruce TV, Okay. The show that is playing is a broadcast. Uh, that, and then comes the most important insight right there. You ready? It goes, well, you're watching a TV and the TV breaks. And I say, yeah, the TV's dead. It's not working anymore. The most important question is, did the broadcast die when the TV broke? I go, no. I go, what do you mean? I say, well, you can get another TV, plug it in, turn it on. When, when you tune it to the station, show's back on the air. I go, oh my God, we can't die because we are the broadcast, not the TV. And the significance is, well, the body TV can break, the broadcast is always there. And if a future embryo shows up with the same antennas that are on your cells right now, you're back, but in a new TV. I go, what does that mean? I said, well, does it have to be male or female? I said, no, that's the TV. That's not the broadcast. Separate the broadcast from the TV for a moment. You're the broadcast. The TV is what you play through. Does it make a difference if this TV is male or female? No. Ready? Does it make a difference if this is white, brown, black, red, yellow? Nope, that's the TV. And all of a sudden, I have to say, oh, my God. We, we have been looking at the TV and considering that's the entity, when in truth... That's the player of the entity. Right. 
and this is why, let's say Brian O'Leary's cells, they all have the same antennas on them, right? But it's like two TVs, 350 miles apart, same broadcast, hits both TVs at the same time. And the part that just blew my mind was, oh my God, I'm not in here. I am playing through here. And the first thing that happened in my in my life, because I was not spiritual, I mean, I was a science guy, okay? No spirituality. <laughs> but the moment I understood this, it's like my mind blew my mind, changed my life. My whole world turned upside down. Why? Because I realized something. Are you ready for this? You cannot die. I go, what do you mean? I say, you're not even in here. <laughs> the right. TV can go and die, but you <laughs> are a broadcast that is always here. And if I said, if another embryo shows up with the same antennas you have, it's reincarnation, but in a different life form. Now, you have to recognize this. Uh, I didn't go through any devotional, like go to some religious church or temple or something and learn all this. I said, no, no, it had nothing to do with that. I didn't even go to those things. I'm in a laboratory looking at cells in a Petri dish and understanding the nature inside this dish. So what does it mean? I said, well, how long did it take me to go from non-spiritual to spiritual? And, and here's the joke. Uh, about a minute. <laughs> what do you mean? I go, well, the point was, it's a mechanism. And mm -hmm. you can see this mechanism. And it becomes profoundly important. Because if you understand this mechanism, the first thing that I realized, in my, and a weight lifted off my shoulder, I got so light. It was like, oh, my God, freedom. I said, what was the freedom? You ready? No fear of death. Why? I, I realized you could, the bodies could come and go, but the field is always here. I'm always here. A very important question from science Bruce Brain came uh, up, and the answers came from 50 trillion cells inside my body. I always joke. I always call them Jewish comedian cells. And I say, why? I, say, I asked them a question, and the cells responded with a question. <laughs> I asked the question, why have a body and a spirit? Why not just be a spirit? And the 50 trillion cells welled up and answered with this profound question. Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? I almost said, oh, oh my God. <laughs> this mechanism, smell, taste, sight, sound, feelings, emotions. I go, this is a machine. It creates the chemistry of the experiences or the inputs. And I say, and what does the brain do? It translates it into vibrations. So if I see a, a landscape, does that mean there's a screen in the back of my head with a picture playing inside? I say, no, it's translated into an energy broadcast. Mm. So sight, sound, smell, taste. Well, they might be physical things in this world, when they enter the body, the receptors translate them into an energy broadcast that goes up to the brain, and the brain reads the broadcast, okay? So I said, wow, then what was the idea of having a body? And the answer was this, to sense and experience the world. I can have an intellectual discussion, love, let's write it, a 50-page essay, love. I say, and what if you never experienced love? And I go, it's just an intellectual exercise. I go, but what if you experience it in love? And I say, oh my God, it becomes a physiological expression that can, you know, the, blow your mind. And I go, oh, oh my God, 
then my body is a translator of an environment and translates it into vibrational energy. And you ready? This is the cool part, right? When I want to read a brain activity, we put wires on a person's head. It's called electroencephalograph. I can read your brain activity. Oh, yeah, my brain activity is working inside my head. And I go, there's a new device that reads brain activity, a newer one. I say, what is it called? Not electroencephalograph. It's called magnetoencephalograph. I go, what is, what's different? I said, they both read brain function. I go, yeah, but here's the difference. You ready? Magnetoencephalograph probe doesn't touch your head. It's out here. I'm reading your brain function. There's a very logical moment when you get this right now, and is what? Your thoughts are not contained in your head. Your thoughts are broadcast back into the environment. Where's the broadcast going? To the original energy field that was playing me is now modified by my life experiences. An energy signal was coming in. My life experiences an energy signal and sends it back. And I go, so what does that mean? Oh, my God. The whole idea of this is karma. What the hell is karma? I say, you came in with a vibration, lived your life experiences, sent vibrations back to source. Guess what? You altered source. You're not the same energy you were before you came into the body. So I go, well... What does that mean? I said, well, your life experiences are, 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 are going back and adjusting your field. Okay, let, let's stop for one second, because the definition is probably handily right here. In quantum physics, I mentioned the word field is the energy around us, okay? So let me give a definition. Field, invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. I go, oh, spirit invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. They go, oh, geez, quantum physics has provided the whole foundation of spirituality, that it's an energy field that is playing and that we are receivers of that field. And then we have our life experiences and our experiences are translated into a field which is sent back to the source. So if you had a screwed up life, you screwed up the vibration that you are. Yeah. But if you come in and have a good life, you can smooth out the vibrations where you are. And all of a sudden it goes, so many things hit me in the head within a minute. <laughs> I mean, it was not spiritual. Then I saw the mechanism and one minute later it's like, oh, <laughs> I'm a spiritual entity, but I'm here to do what? Experience the world. And then all of a sudden I said, yeah, but guess what else? Oh, my God, here's where it came. I said, but the source coming in is directing me in the movement on my planet. The source coming in is moving me. So here's an analogy. Let's work on this analogy. I can't go to Mars, but I want to know what Mars is like. Well, I can't send a human up, so what do I send up? It's called the Mars rover. I go, what is a Mars rover? It looks like a a fancy go-kart thing with antennas and stuff all over. And I go, so what? I go, there's a guy at NASA. He sends a signal to the Mars rover. What does he do? He causes it to drive here, drive there. He's moving it around. I say, what's happening? As the rover is moving around, it has sensory receptors, temperature, light, sound, smell, taste, just like a human. And as it's moving around, the sensory receptors are picking up the environmental information. And guess what? Sending it back with the same antenna to the guy at NASA. 
So the guy at NASA is not on Mars, but has the experience of being on Mars, has the creative ability to move around and do things, okay? And as it does so, the signals go back to the source at NASA. Analogy, we are Earth rovers. We have a signal coming in that is our identity and our driver. And it drives us around where we create behavior and things like that. And I say, and in the process of creating this behavior, our experiences are sent back to the source. So as Earth rovers, we're given a chance to live on Earth. And then I go, oh, geez, oh, my God, because I wasn't the spiritual guy at all. Now it comes to me and said, oh, people think maybe that you die and you go to heaven. I go, wrong. You're born into heaven. I go, what do you mean? You came here to create. Yep. You came here to experience. I said, what is heaven? Well, that's your personal creation. I ask anybody, hey, David, what's your vision of heaven? You give me a definition. I tell you, I ask the guy next to you, what's their vision? They got a different vision. I say, so what's the point? I say, well, vision is a creation. I say, and so what? I say, earth is the place where you do that creation. We came here to create and to experience. And, and when you're dead, the machine's gone. But the experiences are still in the broadcast. They're still in the field. So when I first understood this, and I said it only took about a minute to go, I'm not spiritual. And then one minute later, yes, I understand spirituality. <laughs> I go, what the hell happened in that minute was the recognition that I'm a broadcast. I'm an energy. I'm a frequency. That I play through this system. That I come here and manifest life experiences. And then I said, well, what was the release this was the part that was like so important that tears came down from my eyes when I under that one minute of recognizing, oh my God, broadcast versus television. I, uh, tears started coming down my eyes. I go, what? what? It was joy. I go, tears of joy for what? I realized I cannot die. I am not in this body. I'm a broadcast. And that I'll be back the next body with the same receptors again to do it again, okay? And I say, so what was the weight? You ready? This is so biologically cool because the girl like this. <laughs> Built into every organism from bacteria to humans is something called the biological imperative. What's that? I go, it's biology's term for a recognition that in every organism, there is a drive to survive, I don't care how primitive that organism is, a bacterium. I say, you try and kill a bacterium, you think a bacterium is going to go, okay, kill me. No, the bacterium will do every maneuver possible in its repertoire of behavior, every maneuver possible to do what? Stay alive. So the biological imperative is the mechanism's uh, idea to be aware of threats because then the biological imperative is to keep you alive. So to make it work, then the nervous system is designed to observe any potential threat that's out there in the world. So I say, oh, I say, running behind consciousness, it's not in the consciousness, lower, I mean, look, it was there in bacteria. So it's not mm -hmm. in the conscious brain, it's fundamental to the cells in the body. I say, what is that? To observe the world, and look for things that are threatening. 
So if there's something threatening, your nervous system will immediately respond to it and go, uh-oh, I have to protect myself. So the biological imperative is designed to keep you alive, but it also has a mechanism to observe anything in your field that might be threatening. I go, well, this is a neurological function. I go, yeah, and it's a big one. Why? It's constantly scanning the field, reading every signal that's out there, and trying to identify any signal that is threatening. And I go, well, what's the fear? I say, well, if it threatens, then I could die. I say, okay, now wait. What if I come to the realization that I can't die? And all of a sudden I say, well, then the fear doesn't exist anymore. And that was the experience of lightness. You know what it was? I shut off the damn mechanism that was watching everything every minute and listening and seeing and hearing anything that would threaten to me. That's a lot of energy that you're using every day without you consciously aware. It's just operating in the background. Yeah, but it takes a lot of energy to operate. I say, and what was the result? The moment I lost the fear of death, I also lost the the need to keep that, that machine running to make me uh, aware of threats, okay? It doesn't mean I'm not aware of threats, but the everyday scanning of the entire world looking for the threat, that's what stopped, okay? And so I say, so what was significance was I got lighter. What, what does lighter mean? I had more energy. All of a sudden, a burst of energy. I said, where did it come from? I said, I had been using this energy all of the time to scan the world for things that threatened me. I let go of the threat. The scanner shuts off. The amount of energy that I was using, boom, <laughs> came right back. And all of a sudden, I had all this energy. And I go, yes, it's the fear that compromises our life. Fear is a stressor. Fear shuts off the growth and maintenance of the body. Fear shuts off the immune system. I go, why? Okay, so the basic understanding is this. Fear means something is threatening you, and it's on the outside. So let's say primitive days, uh, you know, we're out there picking berries off a bush, you know, we're just living like cave people out there. And I say a saber-toothed tiger is coming. I go, uh-oh, <laughs> that's a threat. And I say, threat, fear. What does fear do? It causes stress hormones to go through my body. I go, yeah, but what's the function? And this is the cool part. When you're in fear, you want all of the available energy of your body to be able to escape the threat. I say, the fear is that saber-toothed tiger. I say, so what am I going to do? I want to save all the energy to escape. I say, yeah, but what do I need to escape? I say, arms and legs. So I say, oh, so when the saber-toothed tiger is chasing me, I shut down all functions that are not necessary to use that energy for what? To put it into my muscles and bones uh, to run away from that tiger as long as the fear is there. But the moment I escape that tiger and I'm free, then the stress hormones stop. And I said, then what happens? I go back to where I was before. So I say, what's the difference? In growth, I use my viscera, all the organs in my system, which are what? Maintaining my body, filtering, cleaning, adding energy, digesting the food, cleaning the air, you know, all these functions that keep me healthy and alive. And I have an immune system, which what? Protects me from threats that come inside my body. I say, okay, now, a saber-toothed tiger says to me, I go, 
I don't need to maintain the body for the next number of minutes here because if I don't escape that tiger, then there's no problem anyway. I'm not, you know, there's nothing, an, an immune system, but I need to worry about the bacterial infection. I go, absolutely not. Because if the tiger catches you, the bacterial infection is the tiger's problem, not yours anymore. <laughs> and I say, so what happens? Stress hormones shut off the, the gut, which is all the processing. Uh, and I said, what do you mean shut off? It says, the stress hormones cause the blood vessels in the gut to squeeze shut so that the blood now is pushed to where? Arms and legs. And that's where I'm going to use the energy instead of inside the body. So I say, so threat hormones shut down growth by causing the blood vessels to constrict in the gut, pushing the blood to the outside, which then gives the energy resources to the arms and legs for escape. So I go, oh, what is that like? I go, well, you've experienced that. And I go, what do you mean? I said, the moment you've had any fear, people feel what are called butterflies in the stomach. And I go, what's that butterfly? The fluttering. I said, oh, you're feeling the blood vessels going <laughs> like this, shutting down. You can feel it fluttering. It's a queasy feeling even a bit, okay? And then I say, what else happened? I said, well, the same stress hormones shut off the immune system. And I go, Why? Well, the immune system uses so much energy that if you're sick, you can't even get out of bed. So I say, but if a tiger is chasing me, <laughs> I don't need the immune system right now <laughs> because, <Right. laughs> I, you know, I have a bigger threat. So stress hormones shut off the immune system. Very important point. When doctors want to transplant an organ from person A into person B, remember, the cells have a different identity. And if I put that organ into person B, the uh, B immune system will eliminate the, the transplant, foreign, okay? So if I want to transplant something, guess what doctors do? They give the patient stress hormones before the operation. I say, why? Because it inhibits the immune system from rejecting the foreign graft. So, I mean, it's so uh, stress is so effective at shutting off the immune system that it's used therapeutically to shut off immune systems. Okay, so I said, what is the consequence then of this stress moment? I go, the first two things here are you're shutting down the growth and maintenance of the body to conserve energy. And then I say, and there's a third issue. And I go, oh, what's that one? And I go, the conscious mind is a slow processor. It's a fabulous processor, but in regard to computer functioning, it's a very slow mechanism. So the hindbrain is a super processor, a million times more powerful than the forebrain. So when you're under threat, you don't want to use the thinking. It's too slow. You want to use the hindbrain fast. So here you go. You ready? The stress hormones, remember I told you they shut the blood vessels in the gut, push the blood out. Well, the same stress hormones squeeze the blood vessels in the conscious brain so that the blood is now pushed to nourish the hindbrain where reflexes are going to occur. So I say, now there are three consequences of stress. One, shut down the growth and maintenance of the body. Two, shut down the immune system. And three, shut down intelligence so that you're running on reaction reflex, no thinking, okay? So I go, oh my God. Well, that was not a problem if you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger because 10, 15 minutes later, if you made it, then the stress hormones stop and you go back to life again. In today's world, stress is 24-7, 365. We are inhibiting our growth and our immune system every day by the stresses that we're living under. 
And then I go back to the whole beginning of the story and I go, but all of a sudden I realize I can't die. I'm immortal. And with that immortal character in my mind, the fear of those threats disappear. And I walk around. I mean, I don't want to die, but I'm also not on edge scanning for the world to look for what the hell is going to threaten me anymore. And the result of that is my life is enhanced. Basically, number one, the fear disappears. No fear. I said, then what's, if you're, what's the opposite of fear? And I go, love. And all of a sudden, I say, all of a sudden, when I stop living in that filter of fear, the energy that I put into that is now expressed through the love. And my whole world changed because now I understand to my scientific point of view the truth, and here it is. You don't die and go to heaven. You were born into heaven. You came here to live your creativity. You came here to experience things. And that this creativity and experience is then sent back to your source. And so we come here to have life experiences. And then I realized how many people don't have life experiences. And I go, why? Because they're living in fear. They're behind the wall. They don't want to have, okay, just protecting myself. I'm back here, I'm protecting myself. But they're not living here. <laughs> and as a result, their lives don't have the, the joy of, of recognizing, while I'm here, I'm a creator. <laughs> if I'm a creator, then why don't I create what? I said heaven, because I said heaven is everybody's personal creation. I said, well, then you came here as a laboratory to manifest that. And then I go, all of a sudden, I said, oh, my whole reason on life changed. The biggest, number one, fear was gone. That gave that lightning that, uh, of my expression. It's like, oh, my God, I feel so free. Okay? Mm. But then it also led me under another understanding. If, well, I'm the creator, then I want to create what I want, not what the programs tell me. And all of a sudden, I stepped out of the programs and started to exercise my creativity. And guess what? I'm still here, but my whole life is so completely different. Why? I am now owning my creative character. I do the things that I feel that are in harmony with my life, and I disregard any of those things that are causing disharmony. And therefore, I am honored to say, I've been living on heaven for about 30 or 40 years now, and it works, and it's great, because joy is what I have every day. The fear stuff might show up, but it also goes away very quickly because I don't hold on to it anymore. And I took back the power. And David, this is for me the most important message to give people because the greatest fear we have built into what is called the biological imperative is the fear of death. And I go, yeah, but if you live behind that fear filter, then you're never really able to express yourself because you're back here. You have to get rid of this filter to be here. Uh, and this is what I learned. And in the process of learning this, I also recognized that in this freedom, I get to create. And I've created the most wonderful, happy life on this planet. Here's a guy who couldn't get a relationship off the ground for 40-some years because my programming that I got from my parents of how to get a relationship was so faulty that I couldn't find one. But then I removed the filters. And all of a sudden, I started to realize I, I changed. 
And now I've been living a honeymoon experience for over 20 some years, 25 years. And it's like, wow, how? Man, we have to change those programs we came with because those programs take precedent over our desires and our wishes. And therefore we struggle. Everyone's struggling. Oh yeah, that was Darwin's story. Yeah, <laughs> we compete within, with one another in the struggle for life. And I go, struggle for life? Where the hell did that come from? Well, it actually came from a guy called Thomas Malthus. Uh, he had a school of philosophy. Here's the name of the school, ready? The, the pessimistic school, pessimism. I go, what's that? It's like looking at things that's not going to be good. I go, well, what did you know? Malthus find out? I mean, it was an idea that was totally incorrect, but bought by people at the time in the 17, 1800s. And that is food grows what is called arithmetically. I mean, if a farmer plants uh, and this year gets a bushel of wheat, but works hard next year and tills the soil and puts some fertilizer, gets two bushels of wheat. And if he works again really hard, maybe in the third year, he'll get three bushels of wheat. And as he improves, the bushels go one, two, three, four, five every year, getting another bushel. But then he said, but animals double their population. First there's two, then there's four, then there's eight, then 16. I go, so food is growing at this level, but animals are growing at that level. What's the point? The pessimistic school said there will not be enough food for all the animals. And as a result, the animals will have to fight and compete with one another for the available food. And therefore, life is a struggle and a competition for that. And then Darwin put that into the theory. And then we all bought the idea that, oh, my God, life is a struggle and competition is the only way to, to beat this. And I go, OK, number one. Malthus was totally wrong. <laughs> the whole idea was wrong, but they bought it as truth and then built a philosophy and a worldview on a false statement based on competition. Here's a simple fact. A garden is not a battleground. A garden is the height of cooperation. We came from a garden evolutionarily. And guess what? We're destroying the garden through what? competition, war, everything, all these things. I go, we're facing our own extinction because we're destroying the garden. We didn't learn the most important part of the garden is cooperation with everything else in the garden. And as a result, we have been destroying the garden thinking we're going to make it the way we want. I go, who the hell do we think we are? We're just another animal in the garden, for God's sakes, you know? And I say, so we're facing extinction because of our behavior, our fears, the threats that we live under every day. And I go... Those are manifestations. Those are creations. You don't have to do that, but you have to step out of the system. If you stay in the system, then you're, gonna, you're obligated to play the game. If you step out of the system, you're free to manifest the world that you want. And I come from that world to tell you in this world that, man, it's so much better outside right here, you know? And nature is giving us a warning. Nature's saying, if you don't learn to live in harmony with the garden, then humans will fail to be here in the next few decades. That we already recognize civilization is collapsing. And uh, all of this is based on fear. All of this is based on competition. All of this is based on the biological imperative that says, I got to protect myself. And I go, this is information that is incorrect. We built the world on this information. You know, there's a very important phrase. All of us have heard it. Knowledge is power. I go, well, that's true. But let me say the same thing, but in a different way. I'd say, 
A lack of knowledge is a lack of power. The knowledge we have been programmed with is faulty, and therefore we lack the real knowledge of the harmony of the garden. And as long as we operate from the faulty knowledge that we have been programmed with for generations, then we're in a self-destructive mode. And um, nature is, is giving us a story. It says, well, you guys better fix this now because it's a very short term between now and extinction for humans. NASA has recognized that the civilization we're in, industrial civilization, NASA has totally recognized through research and global studies that within the next two decades, there will be, listen, an irreversible collapse of civilization. Jesus. That's a fact of science, and we're experiencing it right now because we're now experiencing something called the sixth mass extinction of life. We're losing species of organisms faster than in previous what are called mass extinctions, and human behavior is the cause of this. So nature is giving us a chance. Say, well, you guys want to straighten out your stuff? Or... Say goodbye to the garden. <laughs> I go, I'm living the garden, babe. And David, I think that what's most important is that you are helping people be in this garden by eliminating the fears. And, and this is the thing, because fear is what motivated everything. Religion started because of fear. <laughs> because people would say, well, what happens if I die? And all of a sudden, then people came up with answers. Dante's circles of hell is like, oh, I don't want to go there. Okay, well, then if you just come to this church and give us, you know, 10% of your money, we'll give you a story of how not to go there. I go, oh, <laughs> okay, so people bought into the philosophy that was an interpretation that scared them. What happens in fear? Shut down the intelligence. What else? React. I go, to what? I said, whatever the leader says. And all of a sudden, Religions co-opted people's lives by putting the fear of death into it and then saying how you could pay to get out of that fear of death. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you on that topic. Have you got a lot of kickback from people in the, with a religious background in regards to what you're saying? Early in the beginning. You know, there were some Christian—because, look, what I talk about in biology of belief is we're creating this world, and a lot of the uh, Orthodox Christians— Say, no, no, you do not do this. God controls your life, so do not have any idea that you can control your life. Just follow whatever happens. I go, well, that's a bunch of BS, I meaning belief system. That's a belief system. I go, yeah, but I don't need to believe in that stuff. So what? I believe in this stuff. I say, now what? I go, well, I don't live in your hell. I live in my heaven. I go, why? Because I'm not buying your story. And... Is this like oh, weird new science? I go, listen, quantum physics has been here nearly 100 years. Day one, day one, quantum physics, Max Planck and others said the mind is the matrix of all matter. That's where the movie The Matrix comes from. The mind is the matrix, meaning the mind is creating this. We are creating, that is the established rule, number one of the most valid science on the planet, quantum physics. And then I say to people, well, if your consciousness is creating this world, uh, how's that working out? <laughs> and people go, well, it's not really working out. Look at all this cool problems here. And I go, are you creating them? Or are you playing a program? Oh, damn. That's what the movie The Matrix was talking about. You're playing a damn program. Everybody is. That's the necessary part of a computer. 
the brain is a computer. I go, yeah. And I say, in the old days, you go to the store, buy a brand new computer, bring it home, plug it in, push start, the screen boots up. And I say, okay, now do something with your computer. And they go, no, I can't. I say, it's a brand new computer. What the hell? Well, you can't do it. I said, no, not until I put some programs into the computer can I use it. So the first part of using a computer is A, buy the computer, B, install programs, then C, then you can use the your information into the computer. If there's no program, there's nothing you can do. So it turns out the human brain gets programmed in the first seven years of life by observing other people and downloading their programs. I go, well, there's a problem because the people we observe are not living in health and harmony, and then we download their behavior, and we don't live in health and harmony, and they say, genes <laughs> were passed during this. I go, no, behavior was passed during this, the programs. So the relevance is to recognize that 95% of the day, and this is absolute science, the behaviors that we play do not come from our creative wishes, desires, conscious mind, the spirit. It doesn't come from there. 95% of the day, the behavior is coming direct out of the programs, direct play, program, program. And I go, the problem with it is twofold. Number one, we downloaded the programs from other people, so we downloaded their good stuff and we downloaded their bad stuff, okay, at the same time. And number two, and this is the critical part, when we are playing our programs from our subconscious, where it's a hard drive, I say, the reason we're playing the programs is we're thinking, which means we're not paying attention. Paying attention means you look out the eyes and look at, like, driving the car, you're looking out the windshield, okay? But thinking is not looking out. Thinking is looking in. There's a thought. It's inside. So the moment you were thinking, you're not paying attention to the outside, you know, I give David an example. Today, we're recording this on Tuesday, and I say, okay, David, tell me what you're doing on Thursday. And if it's not right in front of you, in a moment, I bet you you can come up and say, oh, yeah, on Thursday, this is what I'm doing. I said, where the hell did you get that? Oh, I thought about it. I said, then where was your attention? I went inside my head, and I was thinking. I go, well, that's where the problem comes from. Why? The conscious mind is observing the world. But if the conscious mind is thinking, it's not observing the world. It's inside. So I said, but what if I'm driving the car and all of a sudden I start thinking, now I'm not paying attention. I go, subconscious is autopilot. The moment you are thinking, the behavior is controlled by subconscious. And I said, but you don't see that behavior. I said, why not? Because you're not looking out the window anymore. <laughs> I'll give example. You're in a car. Uh, you have a passenger. You get very excited in conversation. Man, we're blah, 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 blah. And then a few minutes later, you look out in your, the window and you realize, I haven't paid attention to the road for the last few minutes. And I go, well, you're still driving. Everything looks okay. What's going on? I go, when you were in the conversation, your consciousness was focused on the conversation. So I asked you a question. I said, so what was the conversation about? You go, oh, we talked about this and this and this. Then I asked this question. And while you were having a conversation, what was on the road? I don't know. I didn't see it. I go, okay, that's the story of life. When you are thinking, 95% of the day, the behavior is taken over by the programs. But you do not see that behavior because you're thinking, and so whatever program is playing, you're unaware of it. I go, and so what? And I go, go back to the programming period. Up to 60% of the things we downloaded by observing mother, father, family, community, and downloading 
up to 60% are disempowering or self-sabotaging or beliefs that don't support us. So I say, well, then wait a minute. That means 95% of the day I'm thinking, I go, yes. Then I say 60% of that day when the programs are playing, those 60% are, are sabotaging me. And I don't see it. I say, so what do I see? At the end of the day, I see the result. But I didn't see my involvement. And therefore, the average person says, oh, I'm a victim. Things happened to me. I wanted to be healthy, successful, have a great relationship. I wanted those things, but they're not here. So it must be those people interfering with my creation. And I go, <laughs> wake up, folks. You were running the show the entire time. Just unfortunately, you were using 95% of the time to play the programs, which have dysfunctions in them. But during that 95% of the time, you do not observe the programs because you're the reason you're playing them is your conscious not paying attention. And I go, then all of a sudden I say, oh my God, then we're creating this. I go, this is what quantum physics has been trying to tell you for 100 years. And the science of epigenetics, epigenetics is the biology of that because epigenetics reveals that your genes are controlled by your conscious mind, subconscious, conscious, subconscious, by the mind. And all of a sudden I said, well, that supports everything the physics said. Yeah, biology now supports it. Why? Your mind consciousness is adjusting your genetics and your behavior. Well, this is exactly what quantum physics was saying, but this is now a biological mechanism. And I'm sorry I'm going on with my ranty-ranty here, but... Please. <laughs> but David, the reason why I get so emphatic about this is the same reason why you're doing this program is the same reason why I go out and lecture. It's exactly the same reason. I go, what is it? I need to empower the people because they have been invisibly disempowered without the knowledge that their life is coming from programs that they didn't even put in there. <laughs> and, and these programs rarely support what you want. So you play the programs and all you find is you're not getting what you want. Those programs never gave it to you. Uh, a famous book, uh, Kiyosaki wrote a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. This is truth. Here it is, simple truth. If you grew up in a rich family, you were programmed how to be rich and how to have money. If you grew up in a poor family, you were programmed to recognize you don't have any money and you don't have any power. And I say mm -hmm. that a rich person will stay rich. Why? Because 95% of their life is coming from the programs they downloaded from the rich parents who made all the money. The poor person is going to stay poor because 95% of their program comes from the poverty mentality that they're family experience when they were young, and all of a sudden it says, well, then you got programmed. You want to be a rich kid or a poor kid? I said, well, what the hell was your program? And the big one that we're talking about, David, is the program of fear, because we've all been programmed with some vision other people have told us about the afterlife, the fear, the hell, the damnation. Oh, I don't want to die. I go, hey, <laughs> from what are called near-death experiences, where people have died for a period of time. Almost every one of them said the exact same thing. It was better out there than it was back here again. And, uh, you know, because a lot of them, when having this experience, are given a choice. Do you want to stay here in the afterlife or do you want to go back? And most of them would prefer to have stayed there, but have obligations and came back. But the point was, yeah, you're not this physical body. You're the broadcast. You're the energy. But when you're playing through this body, then you're the experiences of your life at this point. When you're out of body, you are the energy, and the energy is forever. 
Oh, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I apologize for cutting you off. It's, I feel like it was. It makes so much sense, even when you just look at if energy cannot be created nor destroyed, and we are energy. I feel like the answer is inherently like almost right there in that statement. You would know better than I would. That was just my uh, layman terms of thinking about it. <laughs> well, that's exactly what the point was: is to translate this in a way that the public owns it. Because if the public doesn't own it, then well, we might have these wonderful ideas about a future world where everything is beautiful. They're living in a world of self destruction because the programming. You know, I mean, uh, uh, people don't realize the power of programming. I'll give you one right now. Cancer is one of the leading causes of death in, in, in the world right now. And I go, but what? And I go, there's no gene that causes cancer. What? Oh, well, they're oncogenes. We call these cancer genes, like the breast cancer gene. I go, those are genes associated with the cancer. They don't cause the cancer. For, you know, example... So many women live in fear of the breast cancer gene because so many have it. But they live, what's the fear? I'm going to get the cancer. I have the gene. And I said that fear is a vision which is manifesting into their reality. But then I go, you know, 50% of the women that carry the gene never get the cancer. I said, what's the point? And the point is this. Possession of the gene didn't cause cancer. It was a lifestyle that was undermining your biology that activated expression of these genes. The gene didn't activate itself. So all of a sudden it says, oh my goodness, then the idea of cancer didn't come from the genes. I go, no, it came from the programming. Programming of disharmony, dysfunction, not living in life, the fears that are programmed because our consciousness is creating this world. Oh, that's quantum physics. Oh, yeah, that's epigenetics. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's placebo. I go, what do you mean? I'm sick, and the doctor says, this is the greatest, newest research pill ever. It's going to cure you. You take the pill, you get better, and you go, oh, yeah, that was great. And then you find out the pill was a sugar pill. There's a very important point. Then what the hell heals you? The conscious belief that you would be healed manifested healing. And I was like, oh, yeah, placebo. My thoughts manifested my reality. I go, that's exactly what it's all about. And yet, uh, while we are in a discussion of placebo, what people don't discuss, which is much more important to understand, is while positive thinking can heal us, negative thinking is equally powerful in controlling the character of our lives. So that negative thinking can cause any disease, even death. If you just believe you're going to die, you can die just from the belief of it. So all of a sudden, it goes back again to quantum physics. Your consciousness is manifesting this. A positive consciousness induces what are called placebo effects. A negative consciousness induces disease, illness, and death. You want to get out of that? Change consciousness. What This is a random question that just came to me based on what you're saying. How do you answer, what is the relation between, let's say, cigarette smokers? So there's people, there's people that die from, you know, from what are the effects of cigarettes? And there's people that smoke all their life and don't. What is the connection between maybe some people just not believing the cigarettes are going to kill them and the actual external chemicals that are coming in their body? The consciousness is what's creating it. If I read on the package, I'm going to die from doing this, and then I do it, I'm knowingly taking a warning using the problem, and what will I anticipate? The experience of, of that warning. Oh my God, I smoked a cigarette and I got cancer. But it says on the package, if I smoked a cigarette, I got cancer. I go, well, what a, what a coincidence. I go, well, what about those people that smoke two packs or three a day for their life and they don't have the cancer? I go, they're not in that vision. There their is. consciousness is not taking a vision and then manifesting it on them, a negative vision. 
And therefore, hey, you could smoke and not die. And I go, you know what? Uh, down south, people work themselves up into what's called religious ecstasy uh, and fundamentalists, you know, and they start speaking in tongues. And some of them play with the most poisonous snakes in the world. And even if they get bitten, they have no f- bad effect from it. Well, occasionally some die. Okay. But many of them, and this is important, just stop for a second. Many of them drink strychnine, poison, and what they call testifying, which is trying to say, let me show you how God protects me. Testify. I'll do something your right mind would never do, but I'll do it with the knowledge God is protecting me. So they drink strychnine poison, which would kill somebody, and they, guess what? They have no harmful effects, and they drink the damn poison. I go, huh? I go, because their belief system is one that says, I will not die from drinking this poison. God will protect me. And they drink the poison and don't have an adverse effect. And I go, well, if you don't get the point of that right away, and that is this, it's the belief system that manifests. You buy the warning on the cigarette packet and you smoke the cigarette, you have now just completed a process of, I'm going to get cancer because I'm smoking a damn cigarette. It says so right there on the package, okay? And the idea is then, you want to clear up your life, you have to take those fear programs and get them out of there because the idea of a program in the mind is manifestation, whether it's called placebo, a good program, or a negative belief, nocebo, will cause the negative experience. And I go, okay, quantum physics, yes, epigenetics, Yes, both of them saying exactly what we're talking about. In relation to everything you're saying, because it's you know I'm trying to pack in uh, decades of what you've all your work into one hour. In regards to death, and specifically in grief, and I guess this relates to trauma in general. And you, I think you alluded to it already, but specific to when we have a traumatic experience like loss and experiencing grief, what is the biological effect on your body? Does it go to that fight or flight? And if so, what can people that are in it right now? What, in your opinion, I know you can do to get out of that in, in, a, in, in such a dark hole like that? Well, obviously, first, there's a very deep emotional problem when someone close to you or someone you know dies. Okay, that, that's for real. I'm not saying don't do it at all. That's a part of being alive. The issue at some point is, how long do you carry the uh, emotional chemistry of that? I go, what do you mean? I say, when you have an emotion, the brain releases chemistry that goes into the blood, and that chemistry controls the fate of the cells, okay? So I go, well, you know, what do I do if I have a a loss in my life? Um, A parent, a partner, a child. I go, first of all, you experience it. And I go, now what? You, you, You have grief, which is honest and should be dealt with. The problem with it is if grief continues then it shades the whole rest of your life. Everything is now going to be shaded by grief, which is closing down. Grief is contraction, okay, protection, okay? So the idea is this. Do I want to forget the person who just died? I go, no, I don't want to forget them at all. But I do not want to carry the emotional baggage of that with me. Interesting story. There are two uh, Hindu monks, and they're not allowed to contact women. Okay, and they're walking a trail, and they're, they come to a river, and there's a woman uh, dressed up in her wedding finery, crying, because she wants to go across the river but doesn't want to mess up her wedding clothes, and she's crying. So one of the monks picks her up, 
carries across the other side, drops her off on the other side. Then the two monks continue walking. An hour later, the monk that didn't pick her up turns to the one that did and said, you know, you picked up that woman and you were carrying her. And the, the other monk goes, are you still carrying her? I left her off at the other side of the river an hour ago. <laughs> wow, that's great. And, and that is exactly what the story is. Yes, you had to deal with the issue. And the issue is there. There's no denying it, okay? But the fact is, how long do I carry the emotional baggage along with that? And the answer is, there's a period of grief, but then it has to come to an end. Because if it doesn't come to an end, it jades everything in your experience after that. People who live in that chronic grief, their lives go downhill because they're not living the joy of life. They're living the fear of life at that point. So... I don't want people to forget <laughs> those close people that have passed on. I don't want them to be cold <laughs> when a close one dies. I, I Go through it, experience it, feel it. But then in a short while, we have to let go of that physiological. That's physiology. That's chemistry from the brain causing that emotional upheaval. I say, we want to stop this emotional upheaval. I want to stop the emotions that were carrying me. I never want to change the image of the person and who they were and how they died. I don't want to. That's a reality. That's an experience. But it happened. But if I carry it with me for the rest of that time, then I am, as we just described, interfering profoundly with the chemistry of my body, which is then controlling my behavior and genetics. So if I stay in grief for a long time, grief is shut down. And uh, you will destroy yourself in grief. And I'm saying, we have to get over the grief, but not get over the person who was there, our connection with them, the love, and all that. But we do not need to carry the grief for a long time. Have it, and then come back to the reality that we're in right now. And it's easier to do that when you understand the person that just passed is still here. They're here. That guess what? There's no television for them to play through. <laughs> uh, you know, but here's an interesting little side thing, which I think is just it's an idea that's so cool. And I say, remember the story I talked about where uh, astronaut Brian O'Leary moved his cells 300 miles away and then blah, 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 and, and the signal went there and all that kind of stuff like that. Well, all of our cells have antennas that respond to that signal. Now, here comes the interesting story. They were doing a study on liver regeneration, and they were doing biopsies and then making histology slides to study the liver regeneration. And the most amazing thing happened, they started finding women whose livers were regenerating, but the regenerating cells had Y chromosomes. I go, where's the woman get Y chromosomes? A woman is XX chromosomes. A man is XY chromosomes. But in her regenerating liver, there are Y chromosomes. And the scientists were going, where'd you get that from? Here's the insight. When a placenta is planting into the womb, the placenta cells migrate and anchor the placenta into the womb. It's actually anchored, like the cells of the embryo are integrating with the cells of the mother and holding this placenta. Well, it turns out stem cells from the fetus go through and can get picked up by the mother. And that the mother carries stem cells from the children that she carries. I go, so what? 
I go, well, studies have found that many of those stem cells from her child end up in her brain. And I go, so what? I go, if the child is 350 miles away and has an accident, the cells in the mother's head are like the cells in the test tube when the brain O'Leary study. And the result is what? The mother knows that something happened to her child. How does she know? The cells from the child are broadcasting there's something happened, and she has the cells in her brain. And this is how mothers stay maintained, connected with their children no matter where they are. 350 miles? No, you could be 12,000 miles away. You can be on the other side of the world. You have an issue, and your mother on this side of the world will simultaneously have an experience that something happened, okay? Uh, and this is an important bond that hold, holds children uh, to their parents, but it's also a significant fact. It says what? Well, the child's on the other side of the world. How's the mother knowing? Because because the spiritual field, which is unique to that child, is everywhere. So wherever there's a cell with an antenna to download that experience, it will cause the cells to be activated. Very important, uh, and there's even a book on it, when, when people receive a big transplant like heart transplant or heart-lung transplants, they pick up the characteristic behavior of the person from which those organs came. Oh. And I go, why? Those organs are very powerful, especially the heart. And it has whose receptors on it? Transplanted heart? Not the receptors of the person who's where the heart is. It's the receptors of the person who died and whose heart is still here. But the person's heart that's still here still has the antennas of what? The person that died. So that the heart is downloading a different identity than the body. And all of a sudden, they, they merge. So the behavior of the recipient merges with the behavior of the donor. And then the recipient will start to experience behavioral characteristics associated with the person who died. It's so, so serious. There was a, a young girl received a heart from another young girl who obviously is dead. She was murdered. But they didn't know. And they put the heart into this other young girl. And shortly after the transplant, that girl started to have very visual nightmares of being murdered. The, the doctors didn't know where the, where the heart, you know, why the heart got there, okay? But she had the same nightmares over and over again. And at some point... They recognize, oh, the girl who was donating the heart got shot. Guess what? The police interviewed the girl where she described in detail the visions of her nightmare. And the police were able to use that to apprehend the killer. Oh, my God. And so let's talk about something. The girl's dead. She's still there. And the only way we know she's still there is if we have a physical mechanism like a cell with antennas on it that's still going to download her program. If that cell didn't exist, the program is still there anyway. And so um, there's a moment of waking up that says, should I fear death? I said, well, obviously, if there are things that are threatening, you have to respond to them. But you don't have to make feelings of threats by things you see. There's a person lurking in a shadow. Is that the one that's going to hurt me? I said, now you're you're manifesting pictures that may not be true, you know? So we have to be very careful of the fears. Respond to the real fears, but don't manifest fears of things that aren't really fearful until you make that fearful. Now you have a problem, okay? Yeah. So 
David, your program to me is profoundly important because the idea is we live in fear of our lives, the fear of more actually losing our lives. And while we have those fears of losing our lives, then by definition, we're not living our lives. We're now manifesting fears. And since we're creators, you can manifest any fear. You can just say, oh my God, there's cancer running in my family. I think I have it. And the more you fear you have it, the more you will manifest the cancer. There is no gene that caused the cancer. It was a behavioral chemistry coming from the brain, translating consciousness of that fear into cancer. And if we understand this, we can let go of the damn programming that is causing a disruption of the entire civilization on this planet at this time. And all of that reflects the fact that we're not living in harmony with nature. And nature has said, okay, humans, I'm giving you a last chance to get your stuff together here because your collective behavior is destroying the web of life. And you are so foolish that you do not recognize you are a part of that web of life. If the web of life goes, so do you. So it's time for us to wake up and get out of the programs that would download the fear and the disempowerment to us. I'll give you another disempowering thing. Epigenetics is a science that reveals that consciousness controls your genetic activity. I go, yeah, this is really very critical about that. And I say, so your fate is really, if you understand it, locked up in your consciousness. I go, yeah. But in the first seven years of life when that programming occurs, the conventional family, if they get sick, what do they do? Conventional family. I say, oh, they go to the doctor. Mommy's sick, she goes to the doctor. Daddy's sick, he goes to the doctor. I get sick, I go to the doctor. I say, so what program by age seven did you get regarding your health? And the answer is, when it comes to health, it's the professional doctor that knows the truth, and I don't. And I say, well, why is this relevant? Because then if that doctor gives you a prognosis, which is a future script, and your belief system empowers the words of that doctor because you chose the doctor is the one with the knowledge, I'm not. And therefore, if the doctor says you're going to die in three months, do you understand that, that it becomes your truth because you've given up the power of that truth to that person? If that person says you're going to die in three months, what do you think the brain is going to do, the consciousness? It's going to set the clock, and in about three months, you're going to die. I go, for what reason? Because you, you bought the nocebo, the belief, and are manifesting that as part of a program. Because your program says, that's the one that knows, I don't. And that's like many patients, like, you know, with spinal injuries program, you'll never walk again, you'll never walk again. I go, but some of them do. And I go, how come? And I say, because they reject the prognosis. And they say, no, I'm going to walk again. And they do. But the other ones that accept the prognosis, oh, yeah, okay, I'll never walk again. Well, they'll never walk again. Death is the, the belief issue that interferes with the rest of our lives because it gives an alternative destination that we probably don't want to experience. And yet that's the program that we have been downloaded with. And while you're alive, you will have that fear of death until you die. And then as people who go through NDE, near-death experiences, have revealed when they were out of body, that whole story of Earth and what happened does not apply to the spirit. That's the energy field. And your program to me is very important 
Because if you can get rid of that fear, which is the fear, the most important fear, because the biological imperative is so foundational, it was there before the nervous system. And the reality is the fear of death gives the take away our power and gives it to somebody who says, I know what will happen when you will die. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden you have a new experience and I'm very sorry for it. <laughs> but I'm not very sorry for your show because your show is the, you know, <laughs> the relief of that belief system. Your show is the one that says, no, get out of here with that story because biology is based on belief. And if that's the story you want to believe, then I'm sorry, the rest of your life is a bit of a tragedy at this point. Yeah, I mean, that that's just the big consistency. I spoke to, you know, over 60 people at this point. And the one constant is they they made a, a decision to rise above it. They had a, a, they created a belief system strong enough to overcome the traumatic experience or fears, or whatever they had, and get through it. And the way you do it, you don't need me to tell you, it, it makes it so much easier to understand, especially when you connect it to, you know, the biological aspect of how it actually operates. It's it's hard to deny. Well, that, that was the fun part for me because I didn't come in this world through, uh, to that attitude through uh, a devotional belief to anybody who programmed me when I was a kid. I came from it from the complete opposite belief system of, no, it's just a physical machine. It's here and it's gone. And then all of a sudden I go, Oh no, the science reveals it's a science. I didn't do it because somebody said, Oh, there's a heaven and a hell. Like, I didn't believe in that anyway. I, I did it because the science said, This is how it works. And I say, So what? And I say, Well, it was interesting because if you understand how it works, then you could create the most beautiful life. At least that's what I told people in the very beginning when I understood the mechanism. I was like, oh my God, this mechanism, if you understand this, create this great life. I get some people together in a room and I say, let me tell you the, the secret of how to create the most wonderful life. And I tell, start to tell them and then they look at me and they go, you know, Lipton, for a guy who says you know this stuff, your life doesn't look that good. And all of a sudden I realized, what was I doing? I was telling them the mechanism but I wasn't using the mechanism. I was talking the mechanism, but not walking the mechanism. And that came point in my head that said, oh my God, how I cannot go out and tell people this is the greatest idea in the world if I'm not using it. So I said, no more lectures until I go out and verify to myself that this works. Well, it worked instantaneously the moment I tried it. <laughs> so I was like, I'm back. I'm still here. I'm lecturing on this stuff. Wow. I love my life, David. I love it. I can't tell you. I wake up every day and it's like, oh my God, I'm still here. Do I know what's going to happen during the day? Nope. You never know. You don't know what's going to happen a minute from now. Do I worry about that next minute? Nope. I, I just, I'm living my life. And I'm not taking those fears and incorporating them into my life experiences because that will shut me down. Fear. Love. Fear. Love. <laughs> Bruce, you're you're an absolute legend. You have no idea how much I've been waiting for this day for a long time, and it's actually to see. It's so weird to have listened to you and read read your books, and just talking to you. You have no idea how excited I am. So I'm super grateful for you to share this with me. I'm, oh my god! Well, I'm gonna stop I, talking. I'm so now. glad to share with you because I know we're sharing it with an audience, and I, I really, it's the idea to wake up this world to get out of the problems we're in, which is all based on uh, programming a lifestyle that's not supportive of us or the environment. And nature is saying, if you want to wake up, this is going to be good because you can enjoy it. And if you don't want to wake up, well, forget it. You're not going to be here anyway, so who cares, you know? And um, yeah. we care. You care. 
And this is why I'm here with you, because um, I want to support you in every way possible to get the message of taking the fear out of the death so we can enjoy our lives. And uh, it's interesting because I've known a few people who owned the serious reality that there was no death. And they, uh, and one of them, a dear friend of ours, uh, she was an artist and she was in her 90s, but then she got arthritis and she couldn't hold the paintbrush. And, and then she lost the, you know, the, the joy that was her life. And then she said, okay, it's time for me to go to the next one. I mean, she was just, oh, okay, I'm ready to die. <laughs> she was on, you know, support for some uh, blood thing going on. She says, no, no more of that. I'm going to go die. I'm ready. And she was like, uh, like the astronaut the, before the, you know, the ship was going off. She's like, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> she was in her deathbed and everybody thought, oh, she's quiet. She's, did she die? And they, they got real close to her. Did she die? And, and all of a sudden her eyes opened up and she says, I'm not dead yet. It's taking, why is death taking so long? <laughs> That's the attitude, man. That's the that attitude. That was the right attitude. There. She went out with a smile because yeah, she knew the attitude. it's not the end. I'm going to another, another life at this point. And if we would get that, you know how it would topple the fear of a planet? Because underlying almost everything is the biological imperative that puts fear when we have, you know, concerns about our safety and our survival. And then the world feeds us all the reasons why we should have fear. Just watch the news. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't watch that. Excuse my language, I can't watch that shit. I remember. Nope. Like you said, I got to create my own reality. But the, the idea of perspective, I've always believed it was, you know, how powerful it was, but you just, you just sealed the deal with everything that you've done over the last several decades. Well, I'm excited for this opportunity. I hope that uh, the uh, viewers of our, our program really start to consider what we're talking about because it's the key to really recognizing this is heaven. And if you really take charge, then you will manifest what your creation of heaven is. And if you don't take charge, well, then you're just going to follow the program down to the end and it's a dark hole. I'm not going there, baby. Amen. I, I, and that's the biggest thing I want people to get from this, that no matter if you are in that dark hole, if you've been in that dark hole, you can get out and it's reversible and you don't have to stay there and you don't have to stay there. And I think everything that you've explained and I've, you know, harked on is um, exactly what the people need to hear. So Bruce, you're the man. I, I'm tell, everyone needs to read your many books. Everyone needs to go to your website. The resources that you've had are tremendous as well. So in regards to people want to dig a little deeper on some modalities all of the stuff we're talking about is available free on the website, brucelipton.com. How easy is that? And there's so many videos, audios, written articles, all freely downloadable about the stuff that we talk about on that site. Beautiful. So I'll get your links in the bottom of the show description and all that. Bruce, absolute honor. Um, I, I've continued to learn more from you. Thank you so much. And I would love to stay in touch and take it from there. I appreciate everything you're doing, David. Keep up the good work because uh, there's a lot of people that need to hear a good message every now and then. <laughs>